books with Aaron, Polly, Tim, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. And boys, let me tell you, it's a little bit of a sad day in, in the funny books world. I know Aaron especially is touched by this. Uh, half his record collection is Kenny Rogers, and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> Kenny Rogers passed away. That is, that is uh, what? Know, I yeah. had no idea. Yeah, the the gambler, uh, you know, cashed in his his uh, chips last night. He uh, he is no longer with us. I, I you know I did see that. Wow. Uh, I, I I saw they were uh, rebroadcasting an interview with him and uh, Dolly Parton, you know, because they had sung that uh, duet together, Islands in the Stream. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, this was shot post uh, Kenny Rogers uh, facelift. And, you know, she refers to Kenny Rogers as, well, he's very familiar to me. And I, and I don't think she meant like he's like family. I think what she meant was, is I think I know this guy because boy, <laughs> when he had that facelift, I mean, you're like, who the fuck is that? I think I, I think he's doing a Kenny Rogers impersonation. <laughs> wow, th- this one hit. I had not heard that at all. My mom was a huge Kenny Rogers fan, and uh, every year for Christmas, I get her some sort of singing, dancing stuffed animal, and it's something she looks forward to each year. So this last year, she got a bear that plays Kenny Rogers singing the gamble, and it it dances and it's got cards and things. Wow. Well, I think we can all agree. Anybody that spent even three minutes looking at Google or Facebook, uh, Kenny knew it was definitely time to fold them today. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I wonder, are there still any of those Kenny Rogers roasters, uh, chicken joints around? There are, are, there, if, if, are like there? gas stations up in, uh, up in, you know, the North, you'll sometimes still see a Kenny Rogers roasters like those wow. not gas stations, rest stops. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'd, you like, know, I'd, like, I'd like Paul to clarify what the North is. <laughs> I I live in the North, sir. Uh, the Northeast. How about that? that? The Northeast. Yeah, like as you start getting up to Jersey and stuff. You know, Tim's up there on the wall as part of the black the Black Watch, making sure that the giants and the goblins don't come get us. Uh, he doesn't see any Kenny Rogers roasters up there. <laughs> but the giants and the goblins are all so polite, eh? <laughs> keeping out, keeping out Mounties and 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 Mooses, Mises. Well, <laughs> technically, they're kept out now anyway because of the Coronas. Yeah, yeah. The the Coronas are definitely impacting our industry, our beloved industry. We talked a little bit about it last week. Um, you know, in the past week, you know, we're not going to go into all the politics and anything, but what? But in the past week, all the most of the movie theater chains, but all the big ones, Alamo, AMC, Regal, Epic, uh, Cinemark have shut, have shuttered. Um, you know, obviously makes sense. Uh, if, especially given mandates of you can't have more than five, you can't have more than 10. It doesn't really make sense to keep your theater open. Um, however, movie theater or movie companies are responding by saying, well, shit, hold on. We just released a movie or we had just intended to release a movie. So they're all kind of scrambling to do, way to find ways in which to either make up their losses or still get the 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 movies out so a couple of things big things um were announced over this past week one is that the new disney movie onward which only came out i think three weeks ago um is going to is already available to purchase digitally and will be on disney plus on april 3rd um and uh right now the invisible man and the hunt 
are available for rental, um, you know, on streaming services. And this coming Tuesday, Warner Brothers is going to be releasing uh, The Way Back, the Ben Affleck film that I really wanted to see. Uh, and Birds of Prey is going to be available to purchase digitally. Yeah. And so I, I might actually, oh, and The Gentleman. I'm, I'm actually very excited about finally getting to see The Gentleman. Uh, but yeah, $20, $20 and you can own Birds of Prey now. Uh, well, Tuesday. Um, I don't March, know March if fourth. I don't know if this is a phenomenon uh, that you guys are experiencing, but uh, while the the movie theaters have been closed, uh, the drive-in movie theaters here locally are doing really well. Yeah, yeah there's a single drive-through in the entire area, mm-hmm. and I've seen that they've been advertising and uh, really pushing it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that abuses me is Paul. I'll give that whole list of movies that he was excited about. And uh, Birds of Prey was the only movie I recognized. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in The Invisible Man. I, that wasn't yeah. one that I was going to go see in the theaters, but uh, I would happily rent that. So. Invisible Man was very good. Um, yeah. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. I did see it in theaters before, you know, the crap hit the fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, so I guess these and there are other things they're talking about. Um, apparently, the current rumor is that they may just go ahead and release Wonder Woman digitally. Uh, instead of delaying its uh, theatrical release, uh, you know, obviously Black, Black Widow delayed indefinitely as well. Well, you know, there's there's just a finite amount of space to push those movies to the fall. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, I think you do have to kind of make some decisions. What do we do? Honestly, I think they should have done that with The Quiet Place. And, you know, they haven't yeah. moved A Quiet Place to a specific date yet. So they may just go ahead and do that. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, overseas in the UK, they, the, the government is requesting that Netflix find a way to have folks stream in standard definition instead of high definition to avoid so much burden on uh, on the, you know, the Internet servers. Um, so that's still under debate. But, you know, because everyone's home, everyone's streaming and, hey, you know, the, we, we have something to look forward to in the streaming world. Well, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna live in a standard definition world, we might as well be living in a world of stone knives and bearskins. I'm sure that's, that's what coming. I was saying. <laughs> I was I was just thinking that this was that would be the step to the Walking Dead is when the internet goes out. We're we're done. Yeah, we're I mean we're halfway there with with Amazon only delivering essentials and household supplies. I don't know. I got uh, I got my bag of Jolly Ranchers yesterday. So that was <laughs> I got wow. my Superman Red Sun earlier this week. We'll talk about that in a minute. All kinds Same of news I hadn't heard. So Amazon has cut back what it's delivering. No, I shouldn't say they cut back because Amazon is actually hiring. Um, right. But because they are so hot in demand, but they're you know their their emphasis is on um, they're prioritizing household supplies and essentials and prioritizing that space in their warehouses. So, uh, for example, I pre-ordered my my copy of Doom for Xbox One, the new Doom game, uh, but they're they're delaying it because they're saving that warehouse space for the household essentials and the toilet papers and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you You know, know, I I, I love the video games are essential, apparently. Well, see, here's the thing, Wayne. When they said social distancing, it didn't mean, like, put yourself in a deprivation tank. Because this, this has been Paul and Tim tell Wayne the news today. <laughs> it really has been. I mean, well, I, I, I mean, feel like Wayne has been like, uh, oh, well, th- here's, a, here's a breaking news for you, Wayne. Um, Jarrett Leto was, uh, like, in isolation in the desert for two weeks, came out of isolation and realized that the coronavirus had, uh, had you know, hit the country. And he's like, oh, what happened? <laughs> So yeah, that, uh, so that's you. That that's ha- you. You're the Jared Leto of this podcast. 
that well, I mean, I went from uh, work to online gaming yesterday, and the only news I follow lately has been the local news, like uh, a local news website. Cause I'm not gonna actually watch the local news because who does that? Uh, but yeah, I haven't heard like any of this. It really, some of this is kind of uh, shocking. But with the uh, what I was referring to with the video game stuff is uh, apparently GameStop sent out a memo saying we are an essential service. So if the police show up and try to uh, ask you why you're open, you know, tell them that we are essential service. Uh, so you know, I, I just don't get it with some people because like. <laughs> You can buy most of your games like through the PlayStation Store. I'm sure Xbox has the same thing. And you know yeah. what? If I'm making ten bucks an hour, I'm not telling the police anything. But yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> if I buy something at GameStop, it's typically because it's a used game. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, lots, lots going on. But you know, it, what's funny to me? What's funniest to me about this conversation is we're informing Wayne of of things that are that are news. I mean, genuine news items, right? Um, but Wayne is certainly aware <laughs> that Rosario Dawson has been supposedly cast as Ahsoka Tano. So he follows some news sources. <laughs> no, I saw. I had someone send me a message on that one. Okay, the news came to him on that one. It really really did. It came to me from multiple people. I am so excited. I mean, Rosario Dawson, I think it would be great, but I'm just excited that they're talking about casting anyone because it means she's going to be on the show. And I love the idea of the uh, of live action Ahsoka. I, the character is just one of my favorites in Star Wars. And the Mandalorian has been so good that I want to see her show up and I want to see her in a uh, lightsaber duel with the, the guy with the darksaber. Yeah. I mean, we probably won't see it until 2021 at this point, but I think it's pretty cool. I, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Ahsoka Tano fan. I like Rosario Dawson's. I think it's good casting. I see a lot of people complaining that it's not Ashley Eckstein, but, you know, you don't cast the voice actor as the live action actor. I don't know. People just don't seem to really grasp that. Um, anyone who anyone who needs a lesson in that, just watch Kevin Conroy's performance as Batman <laughs> in Crisis on Infinite Earths. I, I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's great casting. Um, I'm looking forward to Mandalorian season two. Uh, you know, it'll give me a reason to finally go back and watch something on Disney Plus. Well, but I'll watch Onward on April third. Um, but available now on streaming and Blu-ray is Superman Red Sun. And uh, I guess, you know, before, I don't know how, but Amazon delivered my copy earlier this week. I got mine too. And so um, I, so it's funny because I posted a picture of it on uh, Instagram and someone left a comment saying, hey, you know, can I have your digital code? I'm like, oh, well, I already used it. So <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. You um, know, that, that, that always, I, I, I've had a couple of people ask me that before and I, and I it kind of blows my mind because I buy the I go out of my way to buy the Blu-ray DVD uh, digital code combo. Yeah, because I like having the Blu-ray in case I need the Blu-ray. Plus, you know, sometimes you don't get all the additional features on the digital copy. I generally watch the digital copy, and then I've got the DVD for you know when I'm at places like ManCon and uh, you know got something to plug the DVD in. So it's my travel disc. I, I find that very efficient, but it just cracks me up when I get a note. Hey, can I, if you're not using that digital code, 
Yeah, because I do, I, you know, especially if I... Now, this one, it's it's hard to say if I'm going to like these DC animated films. Um, but, you know, if I want to rewatch them, I don't want to bring the... You know, it's, it's easier because now with the digital code... Um, for I, I use movies anywhere. I redeem them through movies Same anywhere. Here. And yeah. if you do redeem it through movies anywhere, it's available in your Apple. It's available on your Amazon Prime account. Yep. It's available on your Voodoo account. Your Voodoo, it's available everywhere. That's the point. Yeah. Um, and so that's pretty sweet. You know, I can just watch it from any app and download it and whatever. Watch it on trips, that kind of thing. So oh, uh, okay, that would make it a lot more convenient. What is is this a website you go to, or is I've never heard of these movies anywhere thing so if you buy a movie like you know superman red sun or whatever i recommend buying it through movies anywhere because it'll um, movies anywhere is an app um but if you buy movies you know like a blu-ray that has the digital code or whatever um typically it'll give you the option of where do you want to redeem it if you redeem it through movies anywhere you just link it to your other accounts and it'll it'll be in all of your accounts and you'll occasionally have to refresh permissions for it to access those accounts. But like Paul said, you know, it, it, it accesses my Apple account, my uh, Prime account, my uh, uh, what's the other one? Voodoo, uh, you know, and so they're all in one place. It's fantastic. It makes it super easy. And yeah. I watch so many movies on my iPad when I'm out on the deck. Uh, it makes it it makes it really easy. Plus, it is so hard to walk across the room and put a disc in the blu-ray player paul it's so hard <laughs> i'm gonna start doing this for my codes because i usually only have them on the on voodoo well and what's great is use that i'd rather have it in prime well and once you've got that movies anywhere it will retro so if you've got codes over on prime it'll pull those all together so you can watch it in which, whichever app you're using mm-hmm. it's cool I, know, I, I really I'm, like that function. i'm like I, I'm like the puppy mill of unused codes. Just looking at all these comics, I'm like, "Here's your free digital code." <laughs> when exists. Well, so you know, one of the things that I'm liking about these digital codes now is that they're including the bonus features too. Um, which yes. I got to tell you, it has been a great struggle to not purchase Rise of Skywalker early <laughs> because it yeah. has a feature-length yeah. documentary. And yep. I'm really dying to see the film again, um, but I've already pre-ordered it, and it comes, you know, comes out on March 31st. And I'm like, I can wait two weeks to get my Blu-ray. I gotta tell you though, I I I like the way Voodoo does their special features more than I like the way Prime does theirs. Yeah, me too. Because what Prime does is they, you know, they'll just add it into the length of the movie. So if your movie was two hours and they've got an hour and a half worth of special features it's a three and a half hour film and you you don't have a menu where you can you know, hop around whereas voodoo's got all the other you know segments that you just go to you just click on it and you can go right to it it's like a virtual blu-ray yeah. uh, i really prefer that on the voodoo app and though i prefer the inter- as well yeah and i i prefer the interface on uh on voodoo to the uh prime app hmm. well you know so we got off on a tangent, but you know, we, well, I'm we, down, I'm down that rabbit hole, Paul. <laughs> well, let me I, talk to you about my James Bond collection on voodoo. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny is, um, I actually, I purchased the Blu-ray for Superman red sun, but I redeemed the digital code and watched it digitally. I don't know why. In fact, if that guy was like, Hey, you know, would you sell me the, if your Blu-ray, I'd be like, sure. Cause I've already got it. digitally. <laughs> um, but so Superman Red Sun came out this week, adapting the Mark Miller, um, I believe, uh, I don't remember the artist and I feel really bad about that. Um, 
but it, it you know it, it adapted that story uh, in you know into an animated form. And Aaron and I both picked it up. Uh, Dave Johnson uh, was the uh, Dave Johnson and Killian Plunkett were the artists on that. So okay, anyway. It came out in 2003, finally been adapted as an animated movie, you know, one of these DC animated movies, and very similar, um, you know, you can tell it's they're, they're kind of appealing to that Bruce Tim audience, uh, like they have been with a lot of these side movies, and they're, you know, they're kind of using that style, more so than a style influenced by the comics. Aaron, what did you think of Superman Red Sun? I, uh, there are certainly some downsides to Superman and Red Sun, and I'll come to those in a moment. But my overall review is that I loved it. Uh, I, I really did. I acknowledge that it's not the comic, and I think you have to go into it knowing that. In fact, I, I found it really interesting that uh, uh, J.M. DeMatteis, uh, you know, longtime yeah. comic book writer, did the script for this. Um, and I thought he did a, a really nice job. Uh, the It is very much... I would, I would call Red Sun... Uh, uh, strongly influenced by the comic, <laughs> but not an adaptation of the comic. But I was so taken aback by how strong the animation was, you know, cause sometimes on these DC animated films, I'm like, what the fuck was that? Uh, they had a really strong sense of space. Like, you know, the environments that the characters are in, I'm like, that actually feels like they're in a space. It doesn't feel like they're, you know, they're just on this, you know, of, uh, evolving background. Um, I loved the tit- opening title credits were fantastic. I watched them three times. I kept yeah, hitting rewind well to, to watch it uh, because not only are the graphics in the initial title sequence so cool, but the music was fantastic. Uh, and I forget who did the score for this thing, but it was it was really a very listenable score, and I thought re- uh, strongly helped tell the story. Um, I thought the cast was fantastic. Jason Isaacs as Superman, I thought was a really interesting casting choice. Uh, you know, of course, we know Jason Isaacs from uh, Star Trek Discovery season one. Uh, I, I thought he was great. Uh, I loved Diedrich Bader as Lex Luthor, you know, and we, we've seen, you know, Diedrich Bader play a couple of different characters in the DC universe. Now, uh, the one that comes to my mind is the Batman from the, uh, the Batman brave and the bold. Um, mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought he was really good as Lex Luthor and Amy Acker as Lois. In fact, it seemed to me that the animation on Lois was was strongly based on Amy Acker herself. There are moments where she where they zoom in on her. I'm like, well, they actually drew her face based on Amy Acker. Uh, I, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, I, I, I dug it. I dug this show a lot, and I will watch it again. I'll watch it again this weekend. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, I agree. How about, how about you, Paul? I thought it was very well done. Um, yeah. You know, I, I would say my main, if I had a qualm with it, it's the same qualm I have about all of these adaptations, including um, The Dark Knight Returns, which I thought was a fantastic adaptation, uh, uh-huh. you know, the full version, is right. that it, it feels very episodic. Um, right. You know, and, and, you know, what I mean by that is it doesn't feel like an hour and, tr- so this is an hour and 24 minute movie. It doesn't feel like an hour and 24 minute movie. It feels like four episodes of a TV show edited into an hour and 24 minute movie. Sure. Um, Cause there are, there are very distinct 20 minute segments of the film, um, you know, to go with the four issues of the comic series and yes, they, loosely, right. They, they made a number right. of changes. Um, but you know, I, I feel like for, for what it's worth, 
I wish they would write these more as feature length. A film. Yeah, yeah I agree. Film. Um, and in this film, uh, I feel like, it, it, funny enough, because I don't say this a lot about films nowadays, especially as someone who's watching The Outsider on HBO, um, <laughs> which is a 10-episode series that really could have been wrapped up in about a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Right. I feel like this needed like another extra half hour of breathing. Room. I agree. Um, yeah, it, it felt it, like that. It was it was ninety minutes long or thereabouts, and it really felt like it could uh, have used another fifteen twenty minutes. Yeah, because because of that episodic nature, you're jumping forward in time, roughly about right. a decade every twenty minutes. And right. I feel like that would be a more natural progression if it, the film had time to breathe. But it kind of jumps from you know introduction of Superman to um i don't remember what the second segment was but then there's you've got the batman segment then the green lantern segment i guess the second segment was the wonder woman segment so it's kind of like yeah you know it does these these jumps in time um but you know regardless uh the voice acting was very well done the animation is very slickly done it's smartly written and maturely written right you know? yeah um and i think more so than um some of the other adaptations agree uh, this one does have some some definite rewatchability to it there is a wonderful line where uh, it's the first meeting between you know Superman and Lois Lane, and she's smoking a cigarette. And I think this is actually a line from the comic. Uh, but you know, he says, you know, you really shouldn't smoke those. And she's like, hey, this is the brand my doctor smokes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just cracked up. I, I thought that was hysterical. And I, I think that might be a Mark Miller line from the from the comic book. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I, it's a big thumbs up and I know a lot of people are bashing it online uh, oh, really? because the, yeah, I, I've seen some, some stuff about, well, you know, it's not a faithful uh, adaptation of the comic and you know, it's not going to be, uh, none of these things are going to be. I thought that it was strongly influenced by the comic and as these things go, I thought it was great. I yeah. really enjoyed it. And uh, I enjoyed that Roger Craig Smith who voiced Batman in the Arkham origins game was cast as Batman in the film. Um, so, <laughs> oh, I didn't know who that was. I didn't know who that yeah. was. I thought he did a good job, though. Well, and that Harley Quinn played young Clark Kent. Um, Tara Strong <laughs> was cast as young Superman. <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but no, I did very good. Movie. I did have a little bit of a hard time with some of the accents, and that you know, I was like, you know, come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we could have spent a little bit more time working on the accents. But seeing animated Joseph Stalin was kind of a surreal experience. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so one thing that uh, we I wanted to talk about, and I, I I told Aaron specifically to watch the bonus feature that is the preview of the new Justice League Dark Apocalypse War um, feature that's coming out uh, in May. And the reason I wanted him to read to to watch it is because um, so Justice League Dark Apocalypse War comes out in May. It's the next DC animated film. It includes a DC showcase short, um, Adam Strange, uh, which, side note, did you watch the Phantom Stranger short yet? I have not. Okay. Um, and I, nor, nor, did, nor did I remember that you told me to watch the Justice League Dark uh, thing. Oh, so. damn. So you didn't I know. I, I, you know, you started saying, like, shit, he did tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, we, we, we'll, you know, when, when closer to the film's time, we'll talk about it. But Justice League Dark Apocalypse War feels like it is the concluding chapter of that whole New 52 animated universe that they've set up. Um, and they are going all in. It's basically all the characters from from that new 52 universe that they've established and the film starts with the justice leagues taking the battle to apocalypse mm. and losing and the film um is rated r 
So losing oh, wow. quite violently. Like they show Nightwing getting slashed in half and like very, very bloody deaths to the superheroes. Um, wow. And then it jumps forward in time and Apocalypse has won, taken over Earth. And I'm assuming that it, this involves some type of time travel about the superheroes, the broken superheroes banding together. John Constantine, Superman, um, a more adult Damian Wayne and um, Raven and some other characters teaming up to, to to I don't know, I guess, undo the damage that's been done by Apocalypse on Earth. And it looks genuinely good. Um, and they're, they're, they're saying this is we are doing this assuming that there won't be a sequel. So you will be surprised at how it ends. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, this is very much how they're going to wrap up their whole new 52 animated universe that they've set up. That sounds really interesting. Uh, I will watch that today. Yeah, I recommend checking it out. Uh. All right. Well, you know, we've been talking about what we've been doing in quarantine, and, you know, in this global pandemic of of the, the coronas. Um and a new comic came out this week. A new comic universe was launched. Um, in fact, the four comics I think came out from this new company that I, you know, I didn't even know about. Aaron mentioned it to me. A W A Upshot. I think it's called Writers or Artists Artists Writers. Yeah, artists. artists. Correct. Um, and it's Axel Alonso is the chief creative officer at this new uh, comic company, and their new shared superhero universe. Um, you know, is starting in a six-issue miniseries from J. Michael Straczynski and Mike Diodato Jr. Uh, the Resistance issue one came out this week, and you know, I saw it on Aaron's list. I didn't know what it was after you told me. I picked it up, but you and Wayne both read it as well. Very curious to hear your thoughts. Well, you know, we're setting up the Axel verse here, Paul. Uh, I don't know if you read yeah, uh, JMS's uh, comments at the end of the book. Axel Alonso doesn't like it, like us calling it that, but uh, it's the Axel verse. And it is set in a world besieged by a virus that uh, is killing off large segments of the uh, global population. So, you know, this was timely and a little it freaked me out a little bit reading this book this week. Uh, I liked it rather a lot, but I'm really interested to hear what Wayne, what Wayne thought about it. I didn't care for it at all. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I thought the art I thought was part perfect for the story they were telling and uh i see where they're going with it it just it didn't hit me on the interest side it gets one of those things there are a lot of books out there that i can look at and i look at this one this is really quality storytelling but it's one of those i know this just wasn't for me the story didn't click with me like uh, some other books we'll talk about this week but it was very well done very well written all the dialogue dialogue was good the art was great it just the story itself that was being told wasn't one that appealed to me you know i i actually picked this up because I, I saw it on your on your guys's list i wasn't sure what it was about i got exactly two panels in and i said you know what i can't do this today yeah I, 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 I'm, I'm willing to bet there are a lot of people who had that response because it's a hard book to read uh, it goes it goes into some very dark places around the response to the virus uh, before it moves into the more superheroic parts of it. Um, yep. And so, this yeah, was I announced before that. all of the worst of the uh, the corona hit. Yeah, I mean, this was announced a couple months ago. So, it the timing of it was it wasn't in response to it, but the timing is just so ironic. Right. The uh, you know 
one of the things that JMS says in his column at the back of the book is, you know, they're, they're trying to make a timely um, comic book universe that, that speaks to our cultural moment just as much as the DC books did, you know, post-World War II, you know, where your, your comic book characters are authority figures, right? Uh, as the Marvel books did in the 60s where, you know, your, your uh, comic book characters are, are, are sort of, you know, dropouts and rebels and, you know, you know sort of atypical uh, sorts of, of characters at that time. Uh, so, so, you know, they look to a, a world crisis like a virus because that, that's sort of a, a great leveler across, you know, you know, economic and, and uh, you know, political uh, powers. It's an apolitical solution to, to that storytelling problem. Uh, I really dug it. I, I again, it was chilling to read it this week. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm not overemphasizing that word, you know, given our, our current climate and i think we're all having a, a little bit of anxiety about uh you know wh- how this is impacting what thing how things are uh, proceeding right now uh it did it did bother me a little bit to read it but i enjoyed it a great deal i like what it's setting up i like that they're doing this in, in a, a six issue series you know jms is is somebody that for the most part i really admire his uh storytelling abilities um, yeah, and this is not his first effort launching sort of a, a new universe. You know, he did that for Marvel when they when they did their Supremes. Um, he did, he had his his own, and I'm trying to remember what it was called. Um, it was an independent run book. Uh, oh yeah, I, I do I, remember I, that. Um, it was the it was it was the something to midnight, but um, I know the what stars. It was Rising Stars. Rising stars That's what yeah. it was. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed that too. I, I think it's great that he's. I think the thing that limited him on Rising Stars was that he did not have a great artist. And uh, I know Paul and I generally have differing opinions about Mike Diodato, but I thought, I thought he nailed this book. I, it is it is graphically a very well told story. And you know, Mike Diodato is one of those artists who models his characters, many of his characters, on movie stars. And, and and television actors, and so there there are some appearances in the book, like Snoop Dogg, <laughs> that I was kind of amused by. You know, Snoop Dogg dropping some wisdom on us. Uh, you know, you, there was a Stephen Colbert. There was uh, uh, Morgan you know, Freeman, Paul, Ed Harris. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and Ed Harris was like, ah, oh, look, Paul's going to be happy. Ed Harris is is the villain in this book. <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't catch any of those. Of course, but the art. <laughs> perfectly fit the story being told in that uh it was evocative and realistic and there are scenes in this book that felt like you just got punched in the gut oh yeah uh the one i the one i specifically will uh, mention there's a case where a child comes down with this virus and the parents decide that uh you know they're about to lose her so their choice of what they do they walk in and expose themselves to it to die next to her. That was so chilly. Well, and you know, there there's are a lot of little things like that. I think the reason why that scene is so chilling, it's not just, wow, that's, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a hard, that's a hard story to tell. It's that families are making that decision right now. You know, you could have, you can have a, a, a close, a loved one who is infected with the coronavirus and there are people making the choice that, well, I don't care, 
how contagious, you know, my daughter is, my wife is, my mother is. I'm going to sit with them. I'm not going to let them die alone. And so you're risking running that. Now, of course, in this story, the virus is 100% contagious. You know, if you're exposed to it, you're going to get it because it is this, you know, hyper aggressive virus, which we find out later in the book is because of some sort of outer space alien that crashed to Earth in uh, New Mexico. Yeah, and um, 95% lethal. Right. And so, uh, you know, because viruses... Uh, seek to change uh, this virus seeks to change uh, your genetic code. That's where these superpowered people come from. Uh, it, I, I think it's a really interesting concept. I, I will be. I think it's going to be an interesting miniseries. I'm really curious to see what rolls out of it because the idea of uh, the the Alonzo verse is that they're setting up a playground for other writers to come in and tell their own stories. Um, so I, I'd be curious to see how that rolls out because they, they've got a sort of murderer's row of talent, including Garth Ennis, who are going to come in and write stories in this playground. So I'm excited about that. But, Paul, we have not heard a word from you. I thought it was, you know, I, 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 I don't have anything different to say. You know, it certainly made me feel a little uncomfortable reading it. And again, it was written months ago. Um, you know, before any of this hit, it's just so, so crazy timely. Um, it, it, it very much, so I will say I'm not the biggest fan of superhero universes that are born out of one central event. Right. Um, you know, when, you know, I think about things like the TV show heroes, um, you know, and now this resistance, but there was another one where every superhero was, you know, um, because of some sort of alien invasion that had left behind some type of virus that, you know, blah, 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 that, you know, that turned only a certain population into superpower being. I don't love superheroes, like things, you know, universes that are born out of that specific event. And that's what this feels like that, you know, the, basically, if you get the virus and you're part of the 5% that isn't killed by it, um, you are transformed somehow. And, you know, we see some of the characters at the end who, you know, who will be born out of this. Um, one of them looks kind of like Vermin. One of them looks a hell of a lot like Tony Stark. Uh, you, you have this naked blue flying person that kind of looks like Dr. Manhattan. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what comes out of it. Uh, I will def I will pick up the second issue. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it. Um, I did look at the other titles from this AWA upshot, and it, they, there are a couple of interesting looking titles uh, mm -hmm. that I may check out. Um, so I don't know about a long-term commitment, but I'll certainly, you know, I'm glad you brought it to my attention because I, I will check out a couple of the titles. One yeah. thing I'm really curious about, you know, the talent that they're bringing in. So first of all, you got Axel Alonso, who was there at the great rebirth of Marvel comics and, you know, really guided a lot of the success that we see at Marvel and, you know, uh, a lot of the success we see at Marvel and by extension, some of the MCU stuff, right? Um, what I find interesting is, you know, that they're bringing in Reggie Hudlin, uh, Margaret Stoll, friend of the podcast, Greg Hurwitz, Frank Cho, Peter Milligan, Tommy Lee Edwards. And as I said before, Garth Ennis, um, it's a whole lot of talent. It's a whole lot of money. I imagine that they're spending here in comics, right? Uh, and Axel Alonso is smart enough to know that an independent publisher like this is not going to make world-class money. In this market, it's just not going to happen. So I assume that Axel Alonso is really building an idea factory here. 
that he's building something that they that they can use as proof of concept for either television, movies, both. Yeah, I uh, think so. so. I'm, I'm, because that's the only reason to, to spend as much money as they're clearly spending. It's a, it's a yeah, lot. This of screams this screams TV show, and uh, with the art being so realistic too, it you know I could easily see that being the goal for it. Yeah, and like I said I I'm not in for issue two, but I very much acknowledge this is a very well done book. Yeah, it is well written. It is the art is incredible. You know, it is. It's a good book. It's just not for me. You know, there's a difference between. I'm. I acknowledge a difference between a bad book and a book that is really good and just not not hitting what I'm looking for right now. I hear you. Yeah, and you know, it's another new superhero universe, right? We just had the TKO Studios recently. Um, you know, we we see this every little bit that you know they bring in a bunch of talent at first. Uh, mm-hmm. So well, you know, we'll see. We'll see how long it lasts. Um, some good talent. Axel Alonso is certainly not stupid. But this is not... Actually, we're going to talk about a three number one issues today. Um, well, I guess the, the last one doesn't really count. But the next one uh, is a Dark Horse comic. We're, we're just all over the place today. <laughs> um, yeah. Starship Down number one. Aaron and... and, and oh, I put Tim, but it was Wayne that read it, right? Yep. And this one, on the other hand, is one that the story grabbed me right away. I was drawn in. I like the characters, and I am completely on board for more. Uh, I've been in the mood for a good sci-fi series that isn't like a super-powered series for a while now, and, and this one definitely hit that itch for me. So I am excited to hear what Aaron thought of it. I, I, I did not have as favorable an, an experience as you did, Wayne. Um, I picked up this book because I'm always down for for a science fiction story. It looks super interesting in the preview pages. I liked the write-up. And I should say that I liked the book. My problem is is that not enough happened in the first issue. Um, I feel like instead of getting a first issue that really frames up the series and gives me a a taste of the adventure that we're going to have – this felt like the opening, uh, the cold open to to a science fiction movie. It felt like the pre credit sequence, uh, and it and yet didn't have enough oomph in these pages. Now I'm not saying I needed a car chase or something. I just really needed. I know that we're going to find a starship in this in this book because the title of it is Starship Down. Um, everything else is exposition. In, in these pages to really just set up the world. It's a journey from there, there to here, uh, to, you know, to get to the site of the starship. And so while she's very, exci- very surprised to see a starship, cause they didn't tell her that's what she was there to do. Um, the main character, I mean, um, that's the big reveal. And I'm like, you know, that th- you can't expect me to have the same reaction as the main character when the, title tells me that there's going to be a starship down (laughs) and so i just i i felt really sort of let down by this book but what i do like i like what the argument they're setting up it's it's sort of science versus religion because you've got a representative there from the vatican uh you know science versus religion in interpreting the role of a visitation from, from outer space um 
I, I love those kinds of discussions, you know, and and I, there's not enough here to know how smartly they're going to address that because you can handle it very smartly and you can also handle it very dumbly uh, on either side. You know, uh, I, I want to see really a, a very nuanced sort of argument between those two perspectives. Um, so I'm in. I'm just not as nearly as enthused about this issue as Wayne was. Yeah, if it would have ended on the reveal of the starship, then I would have felt kind of the same way. Because it didn't end on the the reveal of the ship, it ended on a completely different scene, mm-hmm. and then I didn't have that problem. Uh, I do think it took way too long to get to the starship, but yeah. it was the world building that I really enjoyed in this. Mm-hmm. And particularly, you mentioned the representative from the Vatican, how they have him portrayed of he is he is a hard ass. I mean, he yeah. shows up and he's you will do, you will respond to me by my official titles and, you know, immediately going after the main character. I think it is going to get into a lot of that debate. And I think it's both sides are going to be presented strongly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also don't think it's going to be a visitation. I think the storyline they're going to go with is that this is the, you know, the origin of man maybe from another planet. Right. But I, I could see it be either way. Uh, yeah, this one for me, I said it hit all the right buttons. I love the art. I love the world building. And it got me excited for both the series. And I could see this also becoming a movie at some point. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So you know, I, I felt like it was a win. It, I just, I just wasn't nearly as strong a win as uh, Wayne was. All right, so now we're going to go back into our comfort zone of some DC books. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, when we're talking about our DC comfort zone, of course, we've got to revisit the world—a world where the anti-life equation has turned the majority of Earth's population into a bunch of zombies, and where the heroes of the Earth have abandoned the survivors to go to, to 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 head out to safety in outer space. That's that's our comfort zone. Correct, correct. Well, and I don't know, have we talked about that uh so maybe we have already. Uh Deceased 2 got announced. I think we did talk about this. Um so Deceased Dead Planet comes out later this year. And so we've got this like little in-between storyline going on here that's Deceased Unkillables issue 2 of 3 that takes place kind of some during the story of this of the original deceased and i think now we're starting to get into the time frame of just after the original Mm -hmm. deceased after the heroes have left the planet um so tim you we actually we all read it but tim you you know this is uh you've been quiet for a couple books so what'd you think of deceased unkillables issue two you know, it's weird that I didn't have a problem with this book after having a problem with <laughs> Resistance, but I, I really didn't. Like, um, I, I gotta, I gotta say, it, it, it didn't bother me. Maybe it's because it's a little farther left <laughs> of what's going on outside my window, um, you know. And it also helps to actually have, uh, you know, the DC universe, which is already fantastical, anyways. But uh, yeah, I. This issue was was good. I didn't like it as much as the first issue, but uh, it's not because of anything other than that's where the story was. Um, I will say Lady Shiva for Mother of the Year, for, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I strongly suggest you go in this mirror. And by strongly suggest, it means I pound you in the face. <laughs> so, um, no, I, I liked it. And I 
there's a there's a moment in this book where uh, Slade Wilson defers to Commissioner Gordon, and I'm like, what just happened? Yeah. You the scene where 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 uh, Vandal Savage says, uh, "Hey, Slade, come down the hall with me for a second. And Rose is like, "Wouldn't do that. Wouldn't do that." <laughs> and then, I you know, he, loved ahead, Rose in this. Book. Absolutely loved Rose in this book. I think she played well. They did her, her powers well that she sees just slightly in the future. So I mean, she saw what was going to happen to Slade. She has all these other you know moments that she interacts. But the highlight of her character for me is uh, when she looks at Jason Todd and says, oh, you were about to kiss me. I yeah, I love I, that I, romance, I, those two characters. I think the writing on this book is pretty sharp. Uh, I got a kick out of, you know, Vandal Savage walking Slade down the hall where they are dissecting the Creeper because the Creeper <laughs> is immune to, to the anti-life equation. And, you know, the Creeper is awake and conversational. Like, you know, upbeat and conversational during his uh, dissection. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, uh, Solomon Grundy knocks the living shit out of Slade. And the next thing you know, he's all tied up and on the the, uh, vivisection table so that Solomon Grundy can have a go at him. Uh, I, I just really enjoyed that scene. And I, you know, the use of Mirror Master uh in in this in this book is really very uh interesting and creative and when things go go even more dark later in the book i just i i super enjoyed this book how about you paul i thought it was great um i you know it's funny tim you said you didn't enjoy it as much as the first issue i actually enjoyed this issue more than the first issue I agree. Yeah. um and you know what's funny to me is you know i i saw the cost was 4.99 and i'm like what the hell i'm like why is this a five dollar book i'm like are they just bilking me but it is a double-sized issue, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I guess, you know, it's a three-issue miniseries, but if all three issues are double-sized, then I guess maybe it's still technically a six-issue miniseries. I don't know. Um, but I thought it was, it, it, you know, I thought this issue was better. I thought this issue was darker. Um, it moved the story forward. I liked seeing the the, the villains and the heroes, you know, we are, we're kind of getting the band together now, right? The first was establishing the two separate bands, and now we've got them together. Um, you know, and and Vandal Savage <laughs> gets gets torn in half by Wonder yeah. Woman. I, I was not expecting that level. I mean, it's <laughs> deceased, and deceased is always has always been a dark book. But that was yeah. a level of brutality I was not ready for <laughs> when well, I turned that page. You know, beyond the visceral, very in-your-face graphic sort of darkness in this book, there is also a core concept in this issue in particular that I found particularly dark and startling, which is, you know, uh, uh, Jim Gordon and the folks in Gotham that have stayed behind, stayed behind to protect this group of children, Mm -hmm. right? And there's no way they could get them to the uh, launch site to get on the spaceships going out of town with all those kids. They'd lose the kids, so they stayed. Well, when, you know, Slade and Rose and Solomon Grundy and those guys arrive in Gotham uh, to join up, you know, Slade's very clear. We have to turn your kids into an army, you know, and they're they're I mean, they are they are preteen kids, some of those kids. And that is a that is a that is a dark place, Uh, particularly when you think about in in our current day real world. There are children armies all over this all over this globe. You know, and that's not something that we support in the United States, but we see that in third world countries all the time where they turn their children into soldiers. 
And I, I was like, wow, I mean, yeah, this is a survival story and this is what they've got to do. But that is a particularly dark place for DC Comics to go. And that's just not something we typically see in DC Comics. Well, I love the conversation because it made yeah. such perfect sense. Gordon would push back against it, but Slade's argument is the logical one. Yeah. This is the world they live in. And if you don't prepare them, then you're not doing justice to them. Yeah. No, I I, I think it was is extremely well written. Uh, I, I will laugh at one panel in particular. Uh, they they've been the people who have been infected amongst them have been sequestered into uh, a, a, a couple of locked doors Uh and so, you know, once they've decided, okay, we're going to join up with the baddies because, you know, we're all in this together. The baddies go, we got to take care of those guys right here. You can't have the infected among us. Jim Gordon, you go away because we know that you can't do this. And so you've got all these guys lined up. You've got Rose, uh, Jason, you've got Slade, uh, you know, all these guys just shooting and shooting and shooting. <laughs> and it, behind them, Solomon <laughs> Grundy's big action is just tears off his shirt. Yeah, he's like, well, I don't I'm have like, a gun, so I'm just going to tear my clothes I'm just off. Tear, fuck this. This shirt is is coming off. <laughs> <laughs> Solomon Grundy throughout this book, I mean, you don't expect Solomon Grundy to be the one doing the fine the like dissection work. But there he is with the scalpel. And he's got his, uh, you know, happy. Be on a Sunday moment where he's uh-huh. playing with all the kids. Yeah. It's just I really liked him in this book. I liked all of the characters. Well, and you know, I usually can't stand Cheetah, you know, Wonder Woman's uh, you know, arch nemesis. But there's a great scene where one of the kids is like, Miss Cheetah, and she's like, What? I just wanted to say thank you. I learned a lot. You're a good teacher. And then that cuts to this other other panel where the little girl pets Cheetah on the head and says, And a good kitty. Oh my God, I died. I fell out <laughs> laughing on that panel. <laughs> Who's a good kitty? Who's Just a good the kitty? art of that look on the face, too. <laughs> I thought that was good. And I'm with you. I normally hate Cheetah, but I love her in this book, too. Yeah. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. So, you know, we got Jason Todd in that book, and we got Jason Todd in a different book that Tim and I picked up this week. Tim and I invested $9.99 into the Robin 80th anniversary 100 page super spectacular. And I'll tell you why I picked this. We held up. the line. <laughs> held the line. We held the line at 9. Um the reason I picked this book up um and why I've been picking up these 80th anniversary issues even though they're 10 bucks each is because they're you know they're they're setting up this 5G stuff. So you know we saw some of that in the Wonder Woman one, saw some of that in the Flash one. And though there wasn't a distinctive story that um that was set up in this. I think what this book does um, very clearly, as, especially at the end where they're going through all the Robins um, in kind of like a, a secret files type scenario, is this book establishes that every Robin happened, including Tim Drake as his time as Robin, as his time as Red Robin, um, his time in the Titans. Like this is basically retconning and saying, okay. Yes, we said that Tim Drake was never Robin. He only jumped to Red Robin and that whole New 52 nonsense. And then the Stephanie Brown stuff may or may not have happened. But this book very clearly establishes, no, every Robin existed, um, you know, throughout the, the period, you know, of, of Batman's um, history. So I thought so. I thought that was good, you know, kind of. It was nice seeing Tim Drake in his Robin costume again, as well as Red Robin, Um 
you know, before we, and, you know, the creative teams on this book, I'm just going to read off a couple of these names uh, because they are creative teams from Robin's history, you know, established history. So you've got Marv Wolfman, Tom Grummet, Chuck Dixon, Scott McDaniel, Devin Grayson, Dan Jurgens, Tim Seeley, Tom King, Michael Janine, Judd Winnick, Dustin Nguyen, um, Pete Tomasi, Jorge Jimenez, Damian Scott, Amy Wolfram, James Tinian IV, Adam Beach, and Freddie Williams II. So just like anyone who's been reading, you know, Red Robin or, you know, any anybody who's read Tim Drake or Nightwing from, you know, when Nightwing was drawn by Scott McDaniel, you know, anything in the last 20, 30 years of Robin, there's someone, there's some creative team in this book for them. True. True. And the thing I'm going to say is, is it's a lot of this hundred issue stuff. You're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, m- multiple stories, basically. And um, I knew Robin was going to be interesting because of the fact that there's been so many. And I, I think what you get out of this depends on, on the story. Like, there's, there's some unevenness to the story, um, which is to be expected because they're all different creative teams. But, Paul, I got to say, if one Robin came out looking aces, it was Dick Grayson. Yeah, I loved every single Dick Grayson story in this book, and I, that's normally not a character I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of. <laughs> the Agent Thirty Seven Dick Grayson story was had the biggest laugh I, I've had in the book <laughs> with um, the monkey. <laughs> yeah, the monkey. <laughs> and I normally hate monkey jokes, but <laughs> this one was good. Um, Dick Grayson is uh, uh, escorting this person to uh, uh, somewhere in Africa. Gorilla right? City. Um, Gorilla City. And uh, uh, apparently, he had uh, he had he he had personal relations with this woman. <laughs> she said, "Let's see if you mean what you whispered in my ear." And then, like, she turns into this giant red ape. <laughs> next panel dick grayson's holding the ape's hand and kind of shrugging like well, this is where we are <laughs> he's like ah, well <laughs> might as well right so yeah yeah. <laughs> so, yeah but um i i the other the other story i want to call out is i normally don't uh, jason todd is is usually a very one note character i really liked his story it, there wasn't much to it but it showed why he was why he was not just the Robin that got, got killed. You know what I'm saying? He was the inquisitive one, the one that seemed more childlike than any of them, at mm-hmm. least in that story. Yeah. So yeah. I, a big, big props to almost all of the stories in here. Yeah. I enjoyed almost all of the stories in here. I, I will say sadly, Wayne, uh, the weakest one was the Stephanie Brown one for me. Um, and it's by the creative team that worked on those Stephanie Brown Robin issues. I just didn't, it, it was basically all about Stephanie Brown being too voluptuous for her costume and, <laughs> yeah. and having to get a specific costume. Wow. Made for her. But that, it's, <laughs> wow. But again, it's written by Amy Wolfram and art by Damien Scott, who were the creative team, you know, when, when she was on and she was the Robin on the title. Um, but you know, it's, it's that basically... would have so pissed me off if I had bought it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, other than that, honestly, I, I, I like the Tim Drake stuff. Um, you know, the Damian Wayne is by the ta- same creative team that did super sons. Some of them are just short, heartwarming stories. Um, 
you know, some of them are kind of like setting things up. Like one of the the Tim Drake stories is the setup for what became uh, that run on Detective Comics by James Tynion IV, where they had Batwoman and Clayface. Um, but I will say, overall, I have no qualms that I spent ten bucks on this book. Um, it, I I feel like I got more than my value with the amount of stories and the the fantastic art um, in this book. No, it, it it definitely felt like five comic books. It did. And, and if it's going to feel like that, I'm not going to feel too bad. Yeah, agreed. All right, Aaron. So if you're not completely wiped out at this point in the podcast, <laughs> we are ready. I need For the Aaron crossover voice. March Madness! <laughs> Is that what you were looking for, Paul? Yeah, I was looking for that. I wasn't going to do it. Okay. Okay. Well, we we have reached the final four. Dun dun dun. I I know, right? You know, we need an air horn and some of that. Dun 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 dun. But, you know, Paul's not going to edit that. Not, one, so. so just take what Aaron did and use that. Yeah. Yeah. Paul is not <laughs> editing that. No. No, that's gold. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we at last we are down to it. We've got the matchup of Thanos versus Darkseid versus Thor versus Shazam. Well, and before I think we're we gonna kick, kick into it, oh, do, oh, I, before oh. we do, well, one of the things we talked about last week was that we would talk about what creative teams would we like working on these books. You know, should they be real? And so I think last week we talked about Thanos versus Darkseid. We would love Jim Starlin on writing, Ron Lim on art, um, and Thor versus Shazam. I think we said Straczynski and uh, Olivier Copio. Yeah, that's. I think both of those are dream teams, right? I mean, oh, yeah. both of those, both of those books. I mean, you're. I, I if you had to, if you're standing in the comic shop or you're looking at comicsology, <laughs> and you can only get. <laughs> And you can only get one comic, right? You know, your your mom only gave you five dollars, and each of these are four ninety nine books, right? Uh, you know, mom only gave you five bucks, and you're on your own for tax. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're and you're looking at you're looking at the Thanos v Dark Side book, and you're looking at the Thor v Shazam book. Which one is it? I'm gonna ask Tim. Tim, which one is it? Oh, this is rough. Um, I, 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 I hate to do this, but I think I've got to go Thanos dark side. Wow. I, I don't, I don't a, want to. That is a huge surprise. I, I, I know I don't want to, but <laughs> like, which one of those screams, this was the event of the next five years. It's, it's Thanos dark side. And I think we've we said it before when we were talking about the earlier wins for Thanos Darkseid. Let's be let's be real. The easy wins. Um, (laughs) It's it's about the fact that that story is going to have such a cosmic ripple that you can see JLA Avengers. You can see stuff like we've talked about. You could, (laughs) you know, you could you could have your your other crossovers. You could have Thor Shazam. It's not going to be as fun a book. Because like the you know everything's going to be in crisis, but I, I think you get a lot of what you would normally get 
if you go Thanos Darkseid. And it sucks that I got to do this, but that's where I'm going. Wayne. So, this one is rough decision wise, but I look at the two of them, and Thanos versus Darkseid is the, the one that is the big event, is the big setup. But if I'm looking at the shelf of which one I want to read, I'm going to enjoy Thor versus Shazam a lot more based on how we've set it up. And, you know, as much as Thanos versus Darkseid needs to be there air for the event to happen it's not the book that i'm looking forward to and reading thor versus shazam is because that's going to be the fun book that's going to be the the first book i go to in the week so i'm voting the for thor versus shazam on this one wow paul i don't even know why you ask me I mean, mine's <laughs> obvious. And don't get me wrong, Straczynski and Kopiel is a hell of a team. But when you, but but honestly, Ron Lim, like any book that Ron Lim is on, I, I got to vote for. So uh, Thanos versus Darkseid is, is going to be my vote here because um, that is a battle I would love to see. Uh, that just like like Tim said, that is that is an event. So it comes to me. Mm-hmm. To either bring Thanos v. Darkseid home or kick it up into a tie. And I got to say, is I, I, I am wild about both of these ideas. You know, if I, if I had $10 plus tax in my, in my back pocket, I'd pick up both of these. But the scenario is that you can only afford one. So maybe you buy one and steal the other. I don't know. But uh, I, 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 when I think about these two books, and yeah, I mean, both of them have their, their merits. Strong merits. Uh, I think the one that I really want to see, the one that I that I ache for, right, is Thor versus Shazam. Not because I knew going into this discussion weeks ago when we first pitched the crossover March Madness, where I was like, oh, you know, the team up I want to see is Thor v. Shazam. That came up as we were building stuff. I forget which one of you guys pitched it, but I was like, holy shit. I think I might want to see that. And then the more we talked about it, you know, having Billy Batson visit Asgard and, you know, introduce Oreos and milk to to Valhalla. I mean, the more and more we talked about that and kind of built that idea, it's something that we've not really seen before in terms of of experiencing Asgard and experiencing these characters. The idea of Thor becoming one of the Shazam gods. So, you know, maybe he's Shazam. Uh, I, uh, I, 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 I love that idea. I it's, it's really something that we've not seen, or at least I haven't seen. Um, whereas I feel like I have seen the Thanos and dark side team up, even though I, I legit haven't, but it's, I don't know that anything new is going to be told there where I think there is a lot of newness with, uh, Thor v Shazam. So that's a long way of me saying I'm bringing it up to a tie, which means I've got to die. So, 20-sided die, odds, Thanos v. Darkseid, evens, Thor v. Shazam, and here we go. Oh, snap. Evens! Thor v. Shazam. Yeah. Uh, Look at that. Nice. Huge upset. Huge upset. In your face, Paul! Yeah. It's an upset because this is the first time the dice agreed with Aaron. It's the first time. And you know what? Because the gods are looking down on Yeah. We, we couldn't have gone wrong on that one. No, you really couldn't. Whereas no. you can go wildly I'm, I'm, wrong. I'm on this happy. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. I, the, the next one you can go wildly wrong on. It's 
Deadpool versus Harley Quinn or Lex Luthor versus Dr. Doom. So, so again, you can only buy one of these. Which one's it going to be? So creative teams. Yes, sir. I think we talked about Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor on the Deadpool huh? Harley Quinn Which book. seems a no-brainer, right? Yeah. Um, for Lex Luthor versus Dr. Doom, I did some thinking. Some oh, soul dear. searching. Oh, dear. I mean, this this is mad scientist arch nemesis at work doing some thinking. Well, and you had to, you know, you have to figure out a writer who is smart, smarter than you, because these characters are supposedly smarter than you, but also, you know, not so smart that you that you feel like you can't get into the book like Jonathan Hickman. Um mm. But also, you know, kind of good at writing these sneaky, conniving characters. And so I'd like to put forth Kieran Gillen as our writer on this book. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm proposing Salvador LaRocca as oh, the yeah, artist choice, on this strong book. Strong choice. Yeah. He, he, he worked with Kieran Gillen on Darth Vader. He's yeah. the current artist on Doctor Doom. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him draw Lex Luthor, but I'm sure he could. It's not very hard. <laughs> so so I propose Kieran Gillen and Salvador LaRocca as your creative team for Lex Luthor versus Doctor Doom. I can support that creative team. Any uh, any uh, arguments there? Sounds like we have a creative team. All right. So Salvador LaRocca and uh, Kieran Gillen doing uh, Lex Luthor versus Doctor Doom and Jimmy Palmiotti and uh, Amanda Connor for Deadpool versus Harley Quinn. You can only buy one, folks. Which one's it going to be, Paul? My vote is going to be, not surprisingly, for Lex Luthor versus Doctor Doom. Um, as much as I enjoy Deadpool and Harley Quinn and Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor, especially Amanda Connor, um, I, I would really, really like to see a modern take. Because I think we have, to your point about you know Thanos versus Darkseid, you're like, I feel like there's nothing new to tell there. Okay, same with Lex Luthor versus Doctor Doom, right? We, 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 I feel like we've seen similar stories, if not that story, right. maybe in the 90s, that kind of thing. But modern Lex Luthor, I'm not talking... Um, Promethea Lex Luthor, even though he's not Promethea Lex Luthor anymore as of this week. She tore apart his powers. So modern Lex Luthor versus modern Doctor Doom in uh -huh. all that they've gone through since the 90s, all that, you know, and the characters they are now with modern writing and modern sensibility. I, I got to go with that one. Uh, how about so, you, Aaron? It seems like you were going to say it. Yeah, I, I'm going to go because, uh, you know, I, I think I, I made my thoughts pretty clear last time because I am not a fan of uh, Deadpool or Harley Quinn. So uh, I can't imagine any creative team that would make me pick up that book. As much as I love Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor, uh, this isn't a book I'm going to buy. But what I want to see in that Lex Luthor versus Dr. Doom is I don't want to just see them as they are right now today. I want to see the different iterations. I want to see some purple green power armor on Lex Luthor. I want to see some infamous Iron Man on Dr. Doom. I want to see those different iterations so that we really get the full grasp of who those characters are. And I, I think seeing it through the lens of a writer like Kieran Gillen and an artist like LaRocca uh, could be an amazing book. I, I, so I truly through the decades, right? You know, perhaps you've yeah. got your, you know, your different eras, you know, for six, a six issue miniseries, it's here's the character as they were in that decade versus the character that they were in that decade. Yeah. Oh, and I love the idea that this, this is a long running, like, Cold War or yeah, you know, animosity between the realities. Two. Yeah, I love it. I love that idea. 
So, Wayne. All right. For me, Lex Luthor versus Doctor Doom, this is what I want the event to be based on. You know, not the the Dark Side versus Thanos we talked about before, I thought was going to be the event until we got into Lex versus Doctor Doom. The manipulators, I think, are the ones that caused the event. And I just want to see these two go at each other. And just like you guys were saying, I like the idea of doing it over time where, you know, they've been doing this for a long time and it's just come to a head right now for this event. But they've been poking at each other and showing like mixed throughout the continuity of both universes, how things have been manipulated in the both universes by the other. I love that idea and a really intelligent writer showing the smartest people on both planets through each other that both think they're the heroes. They think they're doing this to save their world or their country or whatever. That's the book I want to read. Jimmy? Um, I, I feel like if you've read one Deadpool book, you'll have read Deadpool Harley Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and there's people that like, like Deadpool. I, you know, I liked Mark Wade's Deadpool. I, I had a fun time reading it. Um, but I don't think you get anything different. And I think what sold me was Aaron's idea of the, the whole through the years behind the scenes thing that these two have always been kind of scrapping at each other. And it just, it was never a story that was told because it was always subverted. And it was always like layers upon layers underneath the surface. And I like, yeah. like, I, li- I like the idea of re uh, looking at them as each of them has their, their, uh, their, their moments in the, in the character's arc, you know, where Lex is president and doom is, is, is still the monarch of Latveria. I could see like a UN meeting summit thing where it's just boiling over at the surface. And I think that's a long way of me saying that I have to go Dr. Doom, Lex Luthor, you know, the doctor, how Lex cool Luther. it would be. I say, Think about how cool it would be to have the team up. Like they have all this animosity, they have all this fighting, but one story is the team up between Lex in the Superman armor and uh, infamous Iron Man. You know the 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 book isn't a crisis on the infinite Earths. It's not a secret wars. It's a secret crisis. Mm. That's what it is. I like it. I like it. Well, it sounds right. like we have a winner in this bracket. Yeah. yeah. So next week. The championship, Thor versus Shazam against Lex Luthor versus Doctor Doom. Oof, it's going to be a tough one. And I got to tell you, of of these four, uh, uh, four, four crossovers, um, three of them I absolutely would have bought. Three of them I would have said, take my money. I would have bought those books in advance. I mean, that's how strong I felt like those books are. And, and I think that if you're a, a Deadpool Harley fan, you know, I think that book's gonna gonna appeal to you. It's just not not a me thing. But I mean, wow, I would read any of those books. So I, I'm super excited about where we land for Thor v Shazam against Lex Luthor versus Doctor Doom. But Paul, yes, we sir. know that's coming out next week. But what other books are coming out next week? Well, next week, if you missed out when we talked about it for the last six months, you can still pick up the trade paperback of Batman Universe, all in one collected edition, uh, issues one through six, uh, from Brian Michael Bendis and Nick Darrington. Fantastic book. 
And if you if that's not enough Nick Darrington for you, Joshua Williamson and Nick Darrington will be doing Batman Superman issue eight, continuing the uh, Zod Raz Al Ghul storyline. Um, looking forward to that. I really enjoying that story. If you if you you know were interested in Kieran Gillen and Salvador Larocca. Um, you know, Salvador LaRocca, like I said, is the current artist on Doctor Doom and Doctor Doom Volume 1, collecting issues 1 through 5 of Doctor Doom, is going to be available next week. If you read it digitally, it's only nine bucks for the first five issues. I wish I had waited. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the first trade paperback of Once in Future comes out as well, as well as issue seven of Once in Future from Kieran Gillen, the 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 writer of Doctor Doom versus Lex Luthor, um, <laughs> and uh, Dan Mora. Um, from Marvel Comics, we also get the third issue of X-Men Fantastic Four. We get the first issue of The Road to Empire, um, which is the big crossover that's coming out this year um, from Marvel featuring the Kree and the Skrulls and, and all of them. So The Road to Empire issue one comes out next week. Um, from IDW, Transformers versus Terminator. I might check out the art uh, to see if this is something that I have an interest in. The cover seems pretty sweet, so I may check it out. And I'm going to throw a wild card in here, and I don't know why, because I'm going to be uh -oh. pissed. I'm going to hate myself. I may pick up issue nine of X-Men. Paul! Because it has the, the brood... Fuck? It has the Shi'ar, it has the Star Jammers, and it has the Imperial Guard. And the cover not only has the Brood, not just the Brood, it's got Brew on it. Brew Ooh. and the Star Jammers. Oh, dear. I feel like nope. I need to read that book. That does feel like that was written at you, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look forward to seeing you right back here next week. And we'd love to know what you thought of this week's comics, what you're doing to stay busy during the uh, coronavirus and uh, what you thought about our crossover selection. So give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you could win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise, which I've got to say could be a bottle of Purell, could be a roll of toilet paper. You don't know. <laughs> it could be an open copy of Superman Red Sun. Um, <laughs> or you can hit us up on social media, IOM Geek on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Sounds good. Well, we will do it all over again next week, guys. Stay healthy. Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Mm -hmm.